Every single day we get referrals for children to be placed into foster care. For years, that has meant 10 to 20 kids a day being referred. And that was from newborn all the way until 18 years old and everything in between. So, you know, big sibling groups, school-age children. That used to be the norm. And over the last year and a half or so, that referral base has changed to probably 10 to 15 teenagers a day. The foster care system is a complicated one, and it has certainly gotten more and more complex and dire these past few years. On average, 10 kids enter foster care daily here in Colorado. And last year alone, nearly 8,000 Colorado children lived in an out-of-home placement like a foster family, group home, or residential treatment center. Our good and grounded guests join us today to discuss how the foster care system has changed in the last couple of years and what we as a community can do to play a role in reshaping its future. I'm Jim Licko, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Laura Love. Thanks, Jim. Three children, three grandchildren, one master's in social work, and one incredible foster care agency. Carrie Hankin has worked in child welfare for more than three decades, and nearly 10 years ago, she launched Courage Community Foster Care. It's a small foster care agency by design that serves Denver, Colorado Springs, and surrounding rural communities. And their goal is really simple, to do whatever she can to prevent children from being moved from home to home and to stay in one foster home until permanency can be reached, whether that's returning home, living with relatives, or adoption. Our second guest is Renee Bernhardt, who's a former foster parent herself, a Foster Parent of the Year Award recipient for Adams County and a mother of three. A native of Colorado, Renee spent her early career working in emergency services at the U.S. Consulate in Frankfurt, Germany. Within hours of becoming certified to be a foster parent, uh, Renee and her husband received their first placement, a baby boy that they would later adopt uh, two years down the road. They founded Foster Source in the summer of 2016 and have now served more than 4,000 Colorado families and children experiencing child welfare challenges. Please welcome to the show, Renee and Carrie. Thank you. Thank you. So, Renee, I'm going to dive right in. Since this is really complicated, I think, for even the savviest leaders in the child welfare space. But the Family First Prevention Services Act, it was signed into federal law in early 2018 and rolled out in Colorado this past October. So in a very basic sense, Families First was designed to keep children with their families to try and avoid the trauma that can sometimes result when children are placed in out-of-home care. But I have to ask, like, is it really that simple? Kind of. Um, you're right. What Family First did is it took a big chunk of the funding portion and moved it to the beginning of the case instead of let's pull the children into care and then let's give them all these services. It pulled most of the funding to the forefront saying, hey, maybe we can serve this family and avoid having to pull these children at all, which is such a great idea because we all know, of course, whatever happened in the home to cause there to need to be a removal was trauma. But the, the removal to a foster home, even a safe, warm, loving foster home, is an additional traumatization. So if we can avoid that and keep kids with their, their parents or with a kinship member, that's definitely a, a win. Mm -hmm. Most research shows that kids do better in families, and we know that that, for the most part, is true. We also know that uh, children 
who have been in residential a lot of times have some pretty significant attachment disorders, which sometimes makes them actually thrive in a residential setting compared to a family setting because there is no pressure to um, attach in a residential setting like there sometimes is in, well, there should be in a foster home. Love and affection, particularly for children with reactive attachment disorder, are actually triggering and can make them even more sick. So thank you. I think it is complex, but it helps to sort of paint the picture of what, you know, what this law was designed to do. What consequences, if any, have you seen from Families First here in Colorado? So where it used to be really common to see little guys, you know, infants and toddlers, um, now it's a rare event. So we might see little guys five and under, you know, once a month, something like that. Um, but teenagers with really complex behavioral issues coming through and being re-referred and re-referred. Um, so that's changed a lot because a lot of people used to come to me in foster care wanting to be certified in order to foster and then adopt little ones, you know, newborns, toddlers. And that's just totally shifted now. What changed in that sense? What, why is that? Why are there fewer little ones and more troubled teens, for lack of a, a better label? Well, I think I can only guess because I don't see a lot of what happens behind the scenes at Departments of Human Services, and that's where we get our referrals. So I just see the referrals coming across and email myself and all the other child placement agencies in Colorado. But I can guess that since the implementation of Families First, there's been even more of a push. There always was to keep kids with their families of origin and with kin, whether that's certified kin, so kin that gets certified as a foster family or non-certified kin, which can literally be anybody like friend of the family, um, acquaintance of the family, even a teacher of the child. So I think that more often they're placing kids in those settings and they don't even come across to my desk looking for foster homes now. So I think about the intention of family first and, and our state's sort of policy direction of transitioning these kiddos from residential care to a more family-like in-home setting. And it, it feels like something we should all be applauding. But I also think about my work with, you know, Tennyson Center and some others in the past. And there are kids, as you mentioned, that have special needs or significant trauma so if they can't be placed with kin or kin-like placement and they require that intensive care and there's no beds at residential, where do these foster kids go right now? That's a good question. From what I see, we see kids being re-referred on almost a daily basis. So they just keep recirculating the same kids. You know, I see the same names almost every day of those kids that are really, really challenging. So for now, they're keeping them at that QRTP, it's Qualified Residential Treatment Program. Um, they're keeping them at that level, but funding will stop for those kids unless they meet criteria to remain at that level of care. Um, I guess Families First did create one more layer, and that's therapeutic foster care. Um, and so that requires regular foster parents to get more training and their child placement agencies to get more training to help foster parents work with these kids who have more complex needs. And there's also an increase in um, the pay for those foster parents if they're taking those more difficult kids. 
Carrie's right. I see a lot of counties working towards um, finding and creating a therapeutic foster home model. But what we have to remember is that most foster parents are new because half of all foster parents quit in year one and another 25% quit in the second year. So when we're asking current foster parents to step up to therapeutic, this could be a foster family that has had one placement. Um, it's, it's what we're seeing on, on our end at, from foster source, because we serve the caregiver, we're seeing these children placed with, with kin, with, with grandma or aunt or uncle, who have no trauma training, and they're then reaching out to us to better understand how to parent children with these significant, significant needs. And I think we're also asking our younger foster homes, newer foster homes, to take placements that are tough. It's just super, it's tough right now. And, you know, foster parents... This is something I hate when people say, but but it is true. They did sign up for this, right? So they had they had, you know, 6 months of prep and learning and education and they also said, "Yes, we have discussed this as a family and we would like to do this as a family." And the kin providers, sometimes it's a call and the kids are dropped on your door the next day. So this is not something that they've had time to really process or really think about how it's going to be sustainable long-term. What you're seeing as behavior from children from trauma is not actually behavior. It's a child attempting to process his or her trauma. So you really have to understand that and understand the difference it makes to approach that differently. It's a completely different way to parent than when we parent our quote unquote neurotypical children. For certified kin parents then, if they are certifying, then they receive the typical training through each county. Non-certified kin are not required to do any training. So what we're doing right now is really trying to connect with those non-certified kin and let them know, hey, these training hours are not required for you, but this will change your parenting experience if you take these classes and really understand what you're looking at. So you get the call, right? You're a grandmother who may not know that you have a grandchild or may not know where that grandchild is. That child needs immediate placement. You are in your 70s or 80s. You are given one or five children to live with you. You are not certified. What kind of support do you receive? Currently, not a lot, unfortunately. Um, of course, we want children to stay with grandma and we want children to stay all together if possible. And of course, obviously, if grandma is a safe option. But for non-certified kin, there are a, a few things there. They can apply for TANF, child-only TANF, which ends up being a hundred, maybe 200 a month. It's, it's not a ton. They don't qualify then for the stipend that a foster parent or a certified foster or kinship provider would get. Now, this is another thing, as, as, as someone who kind of advocates for, for foster parents, I'm always trying to break down that myth that foster parents are doing it for the money, which we, you know, we always say it, no one would do this for the money. First of all, it calculates to $1.50 an hour, um, but it added up, that's, it's about $1,000 a month. So it does make a difference. Is it a reason people are doing it? 
rarely, if ever, it's, it's just too hard for that. It's not something for the faint of heart and not something that anyone is doing for financial gain. That's why we actually encourage non-certified kin to certify so they at least could get the stipend. That's so interesting. And I wonder how many of them don't even realize that's available. I think that's the case with, with some and others don't really want to certify, right? These are families that they really, they don't want the government involved any more than they already are in the, in their home. And to pass a home a, a home study they may have to do some construction or, you know, add a handrail here, or it's just, it's kind of a full-time job for a household that already has a full-time job. It is. And it's hours and hours and hours of work and doing home studies and interviews and even pre-certification training and the home inspection just to get to the point of certification. And then beyond that, you know, there's people coming in every month and writing reports and documenting everything. Um, so it's a lot. You know, finding childcare is another complication I think people run into, especially in this era of COVID where there's fewer childcare slots even. So even if you do have CCAP, which can help offset the cost of childcare, it's a matter of finding one. And then finding a childcare that can accommodate children who have um, backgrounds of trauma and may act out like biting other children, <laughs> you know, uh, or just being extra reactive because of the constant um, change of caregivers and things like that. As I think about this conversation, what we've just talked about at the current interpretation of Family First, hundreds of children who need highly specialized treatment that we're talking about here. Doesn't all of this, isn't this kind of a powder keg that eventually leads to more failed placements, more juvenile detention and or homelessness? Where do we go from here? What, what needs to be done at this point? You know, the first thing that I think needs to be done is to really offer more hands-on support to these kinship families because it's, it's probably multiplied by 10, you know, the amount of kinship families that we're taking on and the kids that we're placing in those situations, like Renee was saying, on an emergency basis. And I fear, I don't know, because I'm a foster care agency, so I don't have contact with those people on a daily basis, but I fear that it's going to lead to more disruption, um, which means children moving from home to home, from kinship provider to kinship provider, if they can't get the support that they need to sustain those kids in placement long term, which results in, in more complex trauma. You know, by the time that those kids do come to the foster care system, um, they've got a whole host of issues that are just harder to unravel. So I worry that there's going to be uh, an increase in placement instability. I, those kids who are aging out, you know, the teenagers that we're seeing now, I worry that they're going to age out of a system without being able to um, address their their challenges and their mental health needs. And then they end up being parents themselves. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. so uh, I, you know, I wish I had a sunnier outlook. I am hopeful about the diversion of resources toward placement prevention um, I've always thought that that's where we really need to put our our um, efforts and our dollars, because some of these kids that I'm seeing, almost all of them, these teenagers, if you look back in their placement history, DHS involvement started really early on. So we're talking when they were babies, when they were toddlers, and it's just been over and over and over again that there's been investigations and concerns, and they're not adequately addressed. 
does state leadership, do our legislators, do the people that are running things at that level, at the state level, understand these unintended consequences? And are they are they doing things to take that first step, whatever that might be? We have support from counties and from the state to serve kinship families. And it's made a big, big difference so far. However, it feels like emptying the ocean with an eyedropper. The, the yeah. need is so severe. And as far as, as, far as uh, legislators go, yes, it's, it's really, we have some great folks in there who really understand. Um, Tanya Van Bever is a rep from Weld County. She was a foster parent in Weld County. Um, and she has run several child welfare bills that are, are helping. She just um, passed a foster parent bill of rights, which is fantastic. She's working on a parent bill of rights as well. Um, we've worked with Jonathan Singer in the past. He's no longer in the house, but he was a social worker. Yadira Caraveo is a pediatrician. And we work often with Daphna Michelson Janae uh, because she's very passionate about mental health. And that has been, for us, the biggest game changer. Working closely with CDHS, they are working really hard to make this sustainable. But this is, this is new for everyone, and we're all kind of rallying together and providing what we can to keep families together. I certainly realize that not everyone is in a position to become a foster parent or a therapeutic licensed foster home, but there has to be a way for people who are listening to this and want to get involved to be a part of the solution. Can both of you maybe share two or three ways that people who are interested in getting in involved in this could help out? Sure. Well, I'm talking with one right now, Foster Source, and I'm sure that Renee can talk more about her program. But whenever somebody on the outside of my little group, my own foster parents needs help, and sometimes I'll just find my name on Google <laughs> and call me just saying, I don't know what to do. I need help. I say, call my friend Renee at Foster Source because they are just, they will connect you to what you need. Foster Source is the main one, um, as well as Families Together. And that's run by Hope 40 through the Tennyson Center. And they provide uh, neighbors for foster or kinship or adoptive placements, and actually even biological families of children. Um, anybody who needs help or, you know, just a friendly person to come and bring meals once a month things like that, that tangible support. So those are the two that I consistently refer to. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Gary. I mean, look, it, yes, we are overwhelmed with need right now. And obviously, financial support is incredible. Our monthly giving program starts at $12 a month. So that would be incredible to have that kind of support. But we always say, you know, not everyone can or has to foster, but everyone can do something to help. And it's probably like gift cards in any denomination to King Supers, Walmart, even Starbucks. Uh, we have a lot of 
fostering kin parents, their their children. We sit in the Adams County Human Services building in Westminster. And so the children visit with their biological parents here in the building. And while they're doing that, the foster or kin parent can come down and chat with us and we can give them some diapers. And But most times they just honestly sit in our office and cry. It's very, very, very hard. So to be able to give them $10 and say, go get a latte and make it through the afternoon makes more of a difference than you would you would think but i think also just just have child welfare in your in your mind know that at your child's school there is a child in care in their class guaranteed um regardless of where you live in this state and just think about that think about those kids that aren't going home at night they're going to a strange home and sleeping in strange pajamas and missing their mom and dad Thank you. Such a good perspective for us all to remember. And again, appreciate the work the two of you are doing and continue to do in this really complex and challenging environment. And we certainly appreciate you joining us today to to share all of your wisdom. Thank you so much. Thank you.